Hello and welcome to the podcast for Real Life Heroines with Susanna Liller. Join us bi-weekly as alongside of you, we work toward answering the call, knowing that stepping into our destiny always involves going into the unknown and exploring new landscapes. This show talks about those new landscapes, what it took to get there, and the real challenges that take place for most of us along the journey. Heroines don't stay in their comfort zone. They follow their inner guidance to grow and evolve. From the School for Real Life Heroines, your host, Susanna Liller. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me on my podcast for Real Life Heroines, where I get to interview real life heroines who have answered a call and maybe several calls, which actually my guest today has answered several calls and find out how they grew as a result, how they evolved as a result. So I would like to welcome Bonnie Marcus. Bonnie, thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, you know, I so enjoyed talking to you when you were on my show. So <laughs> it's a continuation of our conversation. It is. And and I think in, in the spirit of transparency, we should say that it's a conversation that we began many years ago when actually I think both of us were sort of starting out on this path of being an entrepreneur and a coach and um and I love it that I was present when you got the call that your daughter was about to deliver her baby and you had to <laughs> travel across the, the country. Yeah, that baby is 13 now. Oh, my gosh. I know. Right. Well, let me, before I go any farther, I want to read which your bio, which is such an impressive bio, all that you've done. And then after that. We're going to go way back to where you started so we can talk about your hero, first heroine's leap. But here we go. So award-winning entrepreneur, Forbes contributing writer, executive coach, assists professional women to successfully navigate the workplace and position and promote themselves to advance their careers. Leading expert in, and we're going to talk about this, gendered ageism. And your latest book was about that, Not Done Yet, How Women Over 50 Regain Their Confidence and Claim, Reclaim, or Claim Their Workplace Power. And 20 years plus years of sales and management experience, you were a CEO of a service master company and a vice president of sales at a medical staffing network. So you know a thing or two about how corporations work and how they treat women. Um, you've held executive positions in startup country, companies and Fortune 500 companies. And you started at an entry, so this is just something to note, you started at an entry-level position when you started and then worked your way up to the top of a national company. So your passion now is to help other women embrace their talent and ambition and step into their full potential, which is what we want heroines to do, and, and workplace power. So you 
share your message globally. You have, so let's just talk about your podcast. So your podcast is, what did you just find out about it? I just found out that it's in the top 3% globally. <laughs> badass. <laughs> I'm badass, blown away. <laughs> badass women at any age. Top 3% globally. Yeah, that's amazing. And of course, um, you're a certified coach. Your um, first book, which actually I happen to have right here, The Politics of Promotion, you were helping high achievement, high achieving women get ahead and stay ahead. How do you navigate that in the workplace? Um, you've been honored by Global Gurus. It's one of the world's top 30 coaches in 2015 through 2022. So that's not a bad statistic, Bonnie. Not bad. And one of the top 100 keynote speakers in 2018 by Data Bird Research Journal. So this is an amazing woman I get to talk to today. And, and it's so great that we have known each other for a while and um, we're now on opposite coasts. Bonnie is in my favorite Santa Barbara in California. So um, welcome. Just really thank you for being here. Thank you for such a warm welcome. <laughs> Great to be with you again. So Bonnie, when I talk to women on this, when I talk to real life heroines, not book or film heroines on this show, I'm always interested in, so what were the times in your life when you stood on a threshold when you left your comfort zone and when it took courage and guts to go into a different area, go into the unknown. And when I asked you that, when we talked a little bit earlier, you said, well, I started out and then you went boom, 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 like four big leaps. So I don't remember what those were in that order, but I'll tell you, it started with kindergarten teacher. Yeah. Yeah. So you were a kindergarten teacher. I was a kindergarten teacher. And that I was had a master's in early childhood education. Mm -hmm. And when people hear that I was a CEO, they assume like I went to business school, um, but I didn't. I really learned business on the job. Yeah. Yeah. So help us understand kindergarten teacher. How did that, how did you get, what made you think I want to do something else? What was the call, the call that you had? Um, you know, the call was really to survive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I was just divorced. I was 34 years old. I had two young children and I was looking for um, a type of job that would help me pay the bills and allow me to still be spend time with my with my children. And being a kindergarten teacher didn't do it. I, you know, uh, my income was really low, and um, I answered an ad in the paper, local paper which we did in those days to find a job. There was no indeed.com. No, I know. There was nothing. There was no internet. And I mean, it's hard to imagine. I'm sure your listeners 
like, what? The right. world where you couldn't go online? Um, so there was a, a, a job opening for a medical secretary with a local physician group, a large physician group. And I went in to, to interview for it. And I thought, this is great. This is nine to five. Um, I get to be with my kids, at, at, you know, after school. And um, it should be pretty easy. I was actually for two and a half years in college, I was pre-med. So mm -hmm. I knew a lot of the lingo and stuff like that. Well, they turned me down. Oh, Oh, yeah. Okay. No, they told me I was overqualified. They didn't want to waste their time oh. training me and then have me leave or be bored or whatever. But they did call me two weeks later and they asked me if I'd like to interview for another position because they were starting a joint venture with a healthcare management company um, and about 30 docs. And they were looking for someone to run it. Now, Talk about a leap. <laughs> I had no, I don't even know. I was newly divorced whether I was really good at balancing my checkbook at the time, to be honest with you. Um, but I answered the call. Yeah. I went and I interviewed. Um, and your listeners are going to laugh. I was an aerobics instructor at the time, a kindergarten teacher. Um and I talked about how uh, important cardiac fitness was um, to me. Also, my dad had had a heart attack at an early age. Mm -hmm. And I knew uh, all about the cardiac rehab world. And um, as a distant observer, I mean, we changed our diet. We supported him in his exercise and things like that. But whatever it was... <laughs> It did the trick. Why they decided to take a chance on me, I have no idea, but I must have impressed them. They must have thought I was smart enough to learn, and they hired me. Um, that was my entree into business. That was probably the biggest leap I have ever taken now that I look back on it. Um, the first leap if we're going chronologically, was the divorce itself. Yeah. So without a big that. source of income and yeah. who did I think I, I was that I could exist on my own, that I could um, take care of two children, have a career that was, you know, leaving the comfort of the castle. Um, and um, so that was the first big leap. Um, this was the second one. And this was a big one. But I did really well. I you after did. a year and a half, I was running eleven centers for them up and down the East Coast. After a year and a half, after being a kindergarten teacher with no experience in running a business, so what? What is it about you? What skills did you realize that you had when thrown into that world that worked for you? Part of it was. Um, that I am certainly a quick learner and I was open to learning, you know, I knew I knew nothing. So that's always a good place to start is admitting, you know, nothing <laughs> and then taking all the advice you can get. And I just, I was a sponge. I just absorbed it. I think 
The other thing that probably has been a key theme to my ongoing success, in especially in the corporate arena, is um, managing the relationships right. and the people. Mm-hmm. And managing 30 doctors is not easy. Um, but they didn't intimidate me. And I was good at the politics. Mm. Thus, your first book. So Bonnie, everybody when they're on that threshold, or they're, they've just crossed it, and they realize, oh, my God, what have I done? There's always so much internal chatter what we call in the journey, the threshold guardians or the critic inside of you, but also people outside of you saying, who do you think you are? Did you go through, what was your fear quota as that you were starting out? I didn't have any. Oh, oh. Not, not at that, not at that point. I okay. mean, for me, my biggest challenges were, how to manage, especially when I was running 11 centers, how to manage the kids and how to do that. I had probably that inner critic telling me, um, you know, you should spend more time with your kids or, you know, you're you're not a good mother. I mean, these kinds of things. But around the job itself, I just dove in. That Maybe because a- it was so challenging, it didn't give you a chance to be fearful. Right. Mm. Right. Could be. So there you were doing well. And so what would you say was your next leap? Well, uh, I had a number of different leaps as I was um, kind of climbing the corporate ladder. Um, Becoming a CEO of a company was certainly a big leap. Um, And for a public company, I might add, I had to learn how to manage um, a board, learn how to be um, uh, a female leader in a company. Um, Service Master has many, many different companies. This was their first healthcare company, and mm-hmm. I was the first female president of any of their companies. So. Um, you know, that was a leap from having to report to, um, well, of course, I still had to report to a board, but making those top level decisions um, was a difficult move. And I think if I remember correctly, you were 50 when that happened. Yeah. So what about, well, first, I want to ask you just what about gender bias the company was there did you experience any of that uh yes yes but it um the job came with uh, a lot of respect right i i don't recall first of all i, I didn't recall um experiencing any ageism yeah. at that point right I, did have the benefit of looking very young at 50. I don't think that anyone would have necessarily said there's an old woman who's now running this company. Right. Um, but it was um, a culture shock for me in many ways, coming from the 
East Coast, moving to the Midwest, a very conservative um, company. And um, that was difficult to, to manage. I didn't really pay a lot of attention to it. I just kind of did my own thing and felt pretty confident in doing that. Um, due to an unfortunate set of circumstances, I ended up having to take that company through divestiture and uh, close it down and lay off 250 people. That's a whole different story. Right. That was a um, very d difficult time. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, going into the C-suite, especially in a public company, was, was a leap. Mm -hmm. And I would suspect that you, well, I don't know, this is an assumption. Were you at that time noticing the other women in managerial positions and thinking, wow, what can I do to support them? Because maybe they were hanging back. I mean, was that when you were starting to realize you needed to step in and support women more? I, I think it was over the entire course of my career. Yeah. where I um, noticed that many talented women were being overlooked and uh, really didn't know how to create visibility, credibility for themselves. Uh, they, they felt, especially um, at this point in time, that it would, um, it was not good to put themselves front and center. It was not good to talk about themselves and raise their hands. Um, in a world that was male dominated, it was a very unlevel playing field. Um, and so I did notice that though I didn't experience it at the time myself, I did notice that a, a lot of other women over the course of my career were being held back um, by circumstances and by themselves. Right, right. I know you make the point, and you make this with gendered ageism as well, that we have these mindsets. Um, so, so what did you feel was the biggest thing that you helped them with? I mean, I know politics of promotion is all about this. But just to share, what would you think is a primary strategy for women in companies who want to get promoted and noticed? Uh, well, the first thing is to notice that there's no such thing as a meritocracy. Mm -hmm. And we believe, I mean, one of the things that we believe as women, certainly when I was in corporate, and I think to some extent now, is that if we work really hard and we get good results, we're going to get ahead. Right, right, right. And it takes more than that. Um, it takes political savvy. It takes understanding uh, what the culture is like, what it takes for a woman to get ahead, um, what behavior is recognized, what is what is uh, chastised. You know, what is what is it like where you work not for women in general but in the cultural environment in the workplace where you are and building the kinds of relationships that you need to um, nurture and to grow over time
because we can't build our career in a vacuum. Yeah. We, we need other people to support us and to uh, recommend us and refer to us, refer us to other opportunities. We can't do it alone. And when you work that or do that, recommend that, are you thinking women forming women's networks or are you thinking the whole network, men and women making those connections? Both. Yeah. Yeah. But I think we can't just keep it to women's uh, women supporting women, because if we are in the corporate arena or even as an entrepreneur, you know, chances are in our industry, we're dealing with all genders, right? Right. We and are. we need those kinds of relationships and we need allies and champions. So what if a woman pushed back at you? Because I'm thinking of my own corporate experience and mostly it was with males, with men. And, you know, they'd play golf, they'd go you know, schmooze on the golf course, then go out to dinner. So pushing back, does that mean I have to learn how to play golf? Does that mean I have to see where the decisions are made and go to those places? And even if I don't want to? Um, <laughs> I don't know that you need to play golf, although I know a lot of women took up golf just so they could be on the golf course. Uh, I think the first step is being aware that uh, a lot of the decisions are made in an informal kind of setting mm-hmm. and that it's difficult to to break into what I call the power network um, of men in most corporations. Mm-hmm. And the best way to really do that if you can't you know, if you don't want to play poker or you don't want to play golf is to forge these relationships one-on-one and perhaps even creating your own type of events where um, in an informal setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there you are, your CEO, you are hiring and then having to lay off all those people. And at some point, you get a call to, oh, I want my own business. How did that happen? That happened years later. Um, One of the leaps that I took was I was living in Connecticut at the time and my kids were now in college. And I thought about living in the suburbs as something that I was kind of bored with. So I decided to take a leap and rent out my house in Connecticut and move to Boston. I didn't know anybody in Boston, but I always liked Boston. So this is, I just want to point out, Bonnie, this is something I've talked to several women lately about this, particularly now that you can work from home and work, you know, you don't have to be tied to an office women who are saying, I I can now go and live in Italy. I've always, or in Ireland. And yeah, so you did it, moved to Boston, didn't know anybody. Right. And, 
And I didn't have a job at the time, really. I was in between jobs. But the rent from one place was paying for the rent in the new place. And very quickly, I did get um, a job. And then I did get a big promotion. And I was running um, the sales organization for Medical Staffing Network. But I loved living in Boston. Uh, I was, you know, did a lot of traveling for my work. And I was 10 minutes from Logan Airport. And uh, I was there just about a year. And my landlord said that he was putting this on the market. And this it was a condo. And um, I had already, oh, I took another leap. I forgot. <laughs> I went down to Martha's Vineyard for a day and bought another house. I remember that. Yes. <laughs> so now I'm renting one. I own two. And I, I certainly couldn't buy the condo in, in Boston. I had to pack up everything, put it in storage, and move to this little island. An and island. Here I am trying to run a national sales organization, you know, you could see that it, it wasn't going to work out. It was that then that I decided that I could start my own company, work from home, and um, manage from from Martha's Vineyard. And so that was my leap to starting my own business, mostly by a set of circumstances that put me on this lovely island, right. where I ended up living um, for over ten years. Hmm. Hmm. So anyone listening to this. They've got to say to themselves, this woman is fearless. She keeps going into these situations, either a location or a job, without necessarily knowing all the parameters. You know, I think you probably would agree with me that women so often feel that they have to have all these qualifications in order to do the next thing that, you know, I don't, I don't know everything I'm supposed to, I should go get another degree before I, and here you are just going. And I'm just thinking to ask you, have you, I guess you've always had that. Is that something that you've honed? How do you make those decisions when you're in the moment thinking? Some of them are pretty impulsive. Yeah. I mean, buy the house on Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> Was was pretty impulsive. Um, get, moving to Boston, you know, I had a strategy. I was going to rent out my house to pay for another place. Although that was a house of cards that easily could have fallen through if my tenants decided to leave and then I had to pay the rent and I didn't have a job at the time. Um, I don't know whether it's even whether it's a lack of fear because. I certainly do have fear um, and I have a lot of self-doubt at times, but I think there's such an underlying current of optimism that mm. runs through me Yeah, that like things are going to work out. I, and I don't know that I recognize it before this conversation mm. as to what allowed me to walk through open doors when I didn't know what the hell I was doing or move to different locations. Um, I am through 
and through an optimist. And that gets to the mindset, you know, of what kind of mindset in order to be successful, whether you're in a male-oriented company or if you're an older, you know, your current book. Um, But I also just want to say, because I'm doing, I offer comfort zone challenges where I have women try out leaving their comfort zone. And one of the things we do is we look back because I say to everybody, well, you've done this before. I know you have. And for you, Bonnie, you can say, well, I did this. I survived it. I did really well. And then I tried this and I did really, I mean, you can look back. So why would it be different now when you've, that's how you've lived your life? Yeah. 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 And we are finding out maybe what works for you. Right. Because everybody. I'm not sure I'd recommend it to other women. <laughs> right. But both of us agree that women have this huge potential that they don't fully tap. And, and so talk about what got you to writing about gendered ageism? What was the, I know you had a a meeting with a lawyer. I think that maybe was, but I'll let you, you tell us why the second book, what got you doing that? Well, I was, yeah, I was coaching a female attorney um, who worked in a large tech company in Silicon Valley, 58. Uh, and she had always been a star performer. There was She was on a team of, I think, eight. And things started to change where she, she was now the oldest on the team. She wasn't invited to some of the key meetings. Her boss wasn't asking her opinion. Um, and she was kind of shunned by some of the younger people on the team, especially the younger females. Um, and her workload was being redistributed. Now, she was savvy enough to know that if she didn't have a full workload, that was like the the next step was pushing you out the door, right? Um, And we talked about how much of that was gender bias, how much of that was ageism. And I realized that it couldn't be an isolated incident that there had to be more women who were experiencing this, more um, accomplished women at the peak, at the height of their careers even. Mm. Uh, And so I started to do interviews. And yes, I found out that it was very common. Um, And then I ended up doing hundreds of interviews for the book. Uh, After the book came out uh, last year, I did extensive research on it because I believed, and I think I'm a bit of a trailblazer in this. I don't, now a lot of women are talking about gendered ageism, being over 50 and going gray and empowering, you know. But then I was one of the first voices to talk about how this affects women in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does, has a tremendous effect on our careers and our um, financial security. Mm, right. And so what's your, how do you help them work through it? What's your, I, and I would assume, again, I'm assuming the first thing is to recognize it, 
just like with gender bias. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's mm. to recognize, to become aware of what it is, how it manifests itself, and um, potentially what, you know, some of the consequences are of that. And then to be proactive. You know, the book Not Done Yet is all about being what you need to do to stay marketable, to keep your job, which is advice that I would give anyone at any point in their career. But now, mm-hmm. as we show visible signs of aging and we are subjected to what's called lookism, right? Mm-hmm. You need, as a woman, you need to be youthful and and attractive to be successful. Um, that we need to be really vigilant about doing certain things to um, create that uh, that credibility that we need, right? Before and we so, are being sidelined. Yes. So tell me, how does then your mindset what have you seen where where you work with women who have a mindset of oh i'm i'm old i must be done and how do you get them not to talk that way to them themselves well again the first step is to what are those voices in your head right you know what are some of your beliefs and assumptions and stereotypes that you have around being an older woman, around being an older professional woman. And do those serve you Mm. or not? Mm. And a lot of them, Susanna, are self-fulfilling prophecies, right? Right. If you feel you're too old to get promoted, then you're not going to do what it takes to get promoted. You're going to stay in the safe zone, in the sidelines. You're not going to bring attention to yourself. So you're not going to raise your hand or share opinions or volunteer for very visible special assignments or things like that, because you figure that if you stay in the sidelines, then maybe you're safe from being um, pushed out the door. Right. So therefore, you're not going to get promoted. You're not on any one's radar and it's it's much easier to push you out so a little pushback our culture is totally youth oriented right um i think i think it was meryl streep was studying to be an actress for where she was going to be an older woman and she said it's amazing when you're in that persona how you're invisible. And so how how do we work with that when the whole culture seems to be against us? First of all, it's dealing with our own ageist beliefs because we need to figure out if we're holding ourselves back um, or if we have some shame Mm. about uh, aging ourselves because as you you know as a coach that affects our body language that affects how we communicate with others you know we we show up as not being confident um and not being competent perhaps 
So that's, I mean, that's what we can control. There needs to be systemic change for sure. Mm-hmm. But this is the type of thing that we can control is how we are showing up um, in the workplace, in society. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's a very, very powerful first step. Yeah. And then how does that show up in the workplace? You know, are we invisible? In the book, I talk about creating a visibility plan. Mm. What does that look like? Actually writing it down. What does that look like? What are some things you can do um, to, um, you know, to show your expertise, to, uh, to leverage that expertise? How do you show up? How do you be visible? Mm. Um, what I call declaring your ambition is you need to counteract any assumptions that perhaps your manager is making that you want to slow down and maybe you don't but you need you need to have that conversation that you're still really invested and committed to your work and ask how can I continue to add value to this department to you as my manager to um for and put a plan in place for however many years you, you you know you agree on that plan. So in other words, bring it out into the open, talk about it, make sure that you're clear and that the people you work with are clear. Yeah. And understanding the value you bring, you know, not being apologetic about it. Mm -hmm. Um, We have at, at this point in our career, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70, we have a lot of knowledge and experience and expertise that we can offer. So maybe we offer to mentor younger colleagues. Maybe we create or facilitate an intergenerational networking or mentorship program where we're standing out as a leader. We're not hiding in in the shadows. what kind of value, what do you bring to the table? It's really understanding your value proposition and how you can help the organization reach its objectives. Right, right. And just, you know, because basically I work with women, but I just think being a role model for younger women is so important because... I mean, you come into the workplace as a young woman and you look up and who are in leadership positions? That Not says with that. <laughs> and, and if it's all white older men, yeah, then how do you figure out how to become a leader yourself? Mm-hmm. You don't really know what it takes, right? And I, there is research that shows that role models, female role models are very important for for younger women entering the workplace. But most of all, it's like looking up and you want to be able to see somebody like yourself Mm -hmm. to know that you can do it. That was not the case when I entered the corporate world. world. (laughs) So I have another question to ask um, pertinent to the title of your book. So I'm wondering if you're done yet. What do you think? 
I, I know that was just a provocative question as, and I'm not absolutely, but you, I was so intrigued when you shared with me the topic of your next work project, because it's very, it's different. It's coming at the whole question from a different place. Can you share that? I have in my notes, Bonnie, that it was okay to talk it's about okay it. okay to share. Um, so when I was deep into doing the research on gendered ageism, I thought the next best step was to do a documentary. I wanted to bring more awareness to the topic. And I even hired a producer and got started on this journey. Another leap. Yes. Why am I not surprised? Because <laughs> what do I know about making a documentary? Zero. <laughs> but I also question what I was doing and why I was doing it and what my agenda was. And my agenda was to change the narrative, to influence the narrative, to influence the way society looks at older women. And if I'm creating a documentary that the only people who will watch it are the people who already are sympathetic to it or know about it, then I'm not changing the narrative. No. So I decided to take perhaps the biggest leap of my life <laughs> and career. I decided to write a screenplay for an animated film that will be a family film where the heroine is an older woman. Uh -huh. And that's what I'm working on now. And it's the hardest thing I've ever done. I don't know anything about screenwriting. I'm learning. <laughs> I, I, um, so I, I do have a coach who's helping me with this. And she said, well, you have two disadvantages. One, you've never written a play before. So any kind of play. Pretty big disadvantage, I guess. Yeah. Two, you've never acted. You're not an actor. And actors totally immerse themselves in the scene and the characters. And so many actors become playwrights. But that's another advantage. And she said, you don't have either one of those. And I, well, I'm going to do it anyway, you know. So um, that's the project that I'm working on now. That's very exciting. That really is. And I think it's going to be, it's going to, well, I think part of it is you want to raise the awareness of the issue. And it's certainly going to. In a subtle way. Yeah. 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 Wow. And again, so what are the threshold guardians saying? Uh, well, let me say that maybe for the first time in my career, the voices in my head with self-doubt are loud. <laughs> like, what the hell do you think you're doing? Oh, Bonnie. You've never written a play before. You, you know, you have no idea how to do this. Um, and there's the one loud and clear is like, who do you think you are? You know that voice. I do. 
Many women know that voice. Who do you think you are that, that right. you can write a play? Right. You know, so they're loud. They're definitely very loud. And I'm at the point in my life where I'm like, I, I'm, I don't care. No. I'm just going to do it. Right. You know, I, I came up with this new saying from my podcast that now I keep repeating. It's kind of a, a mantra of sorts. It's like, you don't get to be a badass sitting on your ass. So at this point in my career and in my life, I'm claiming that I am a badass, that I am a heroine of my story. Absolutely. Still has many chapters and um, I'm going forward. You're going to keep going. Absolutely. And you can tell those voices to shut up. Like, what do they know? You have done this. You've been at this point on a new threshold many times. Get the heck out of my face. This feels different. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not sure if it's because of my age or, and I'm looking at third chapters I'm again of my life. I don't know what it is, but it it feels a, a little different. So I've got to think that there are people watching this that are looking at you. And we didn't talk about this, but we'll see what you have to say. And are going, so what is she like 45 or something? Yeah, right. And I will freely say, so I'm 70, soon to be 71 in November. And so are you, okay, 55? You're right. I'm 74. Yeah. So people watching, look at this. I mean, and she has always looked this way. So, (laughs) yeah. So I didn't want them to think that, you know, you were some young thing that, hadn't really yeah you've been through a lot successfully and so final question bonnie people out there who have tuned in and who are listening what do you want of of everything you've said so many helpful things but what would you like to make sure if they remember anything what you would you would want them to remember Uh, to believe in yourself yeah. Um, I think many of us don't really know who we are. You know, we're we're so busy looking and comparing, we're looking at others that okay. we don't really know who we are. And believe me, it's taken me my lifetime so far to really recognize who I am. Yeah. And it's very powerful. Yeah. And, and believing in who you are, in, you know, all your faults and, and all your talent and, you know, just all of it um, and accepting it. Right, right. That you have a unique contribution. And if you don't bring it forth, then who's going to? No right. one. Yes. So you're going to have to tell us when the film is, well, okay. we'll know, we'll 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 get the the advertisement about it so we can look at it. Yeah. I'm still in the very beginning stages. And I just want to make sure people know that they can find you. Your website is oh 
bonniemarcusleadership.com. Yeah. Yes. Right. And then of course you're on Instagram and LinkedIn and we're going to put all this on the show notes. So they will have it, but the best way to, if they want to reach out to you is reaching out to you with your email. Yeah. The best way, which is Bonnie Marcus leadership, Bonnie at Bonnie Marcus leadership. Okay. All right. So thank you so much. Tell me, Bonnie, if you're in a store and, and somebody's waiting on you, an older white man, and he says, um, how can I help you, young lady? Or how can I help you, dear? Do you just kind of let that go by? Or or do you say, I'm not your dear, and I'm not a young lady? I don't know that I've had that experience, but I was just writing it in my play where my heroine is in a certain situation where uh, a, a male figure is not a human figure. It's a big, large tortoise because this is the fantasy world calls her Missy. And she takes, <laughs> she takes offense at that and calls him out on it. So. Okay. Well, that's my last question. I could keep talking to you. So Thank you very much. And we'll be in touch again when the film comes out. Yeah, hopefully before then. <laughs> if not sooner, right. Okay, Bonnie, thank you so much for being with us today. And everyone, thank you so much for listening as I talk to this remarkable heroine. And I hope you'll tune in for our next podcast too. Have a great day, everyone. You've been listening to the podcast for Real Life Heroines with Susanna Liller. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to connect with Susanna outside of the show, please do. You can email Susanna at SusannaLiller.com and visit the website at SusannaLiller.com. Let's get social. Instagram at Susanna Liller, Facebook, Susanna Liller, author, speaker, and coach. Don't forget to subscribe to the show for easy access to our next episode. And a like and review would be very helpful. Until next time, remember to follow your inner guidance to grow and evolve.